BTN Europe Week in Review podcast, where we take a deeper look at some of the issues in the news. I'm Mark Frary, your host. Today, we're speaking about the findings of the Global Business Travel Association's BTI Outlook, published last week, and which said that global business travel spend would not surpass 2019 levels until 2025. Yet this global headline figure hides regional differences. Europe's spend will still only be at 75 to 85% of pre-pandemic levels by then, the research said. And some are calling peak business travel. BTN's friend and regular contributor, Scott Gillespie, argues that business travel will never recover, and we need to get used to that idea. It's a subject I'm sure that will generate some interesting debate from our panel today. I'm joined by travel managers Karen Hutchings of EY, Adrian Vici of Mondelez International, guest speaker Julia Lobue Said of the Advantage Travel Partnership, and there's a welcome return for podcast regular Paul Tilstone of Festive Road. Welcome to you all. Hi, uh, Karen Hutchings, Global Head of Travel Meetings and Events at EY, and still on lockdown and fed up of it, completely fed up of it. Hi, I'm Adrian Vici. I'm the Global Travel Expense and Car Programs Lead for Mondelez International. And I can just, you know, build on Karen. I'm done with home office. I want to go back to the office and see some people around me. So thanks for bringing that one up, Karen. I am Julia Laboué Said, the CEO of Advantage Travel Partnership, representing 200 locations of TMCs across the UK. And I have to second that. I am absolutely fed up. Need to pack my suitcase and get on a plane quick. Hello, Paul Tilstone from Festive Road, the consultancy on a mission to create better travel and meetings management. I'm really happy at home. No, I'm only joking. Thanks, everybody. Now, uh, let's get down to business. The GBTA says global business travel may not recover its spending levels until 2025. What do you think about that? Do we think that FY19 actually had a too high spending business travel element to it? I, I don't know. I think there are companies now that have different priorities. EY recently announced our ambition around being carbon negative. And I think many other companies will have something very similar. And of course, that's going to play into whatever the recovery may or may not look like. But I think we just need to think about is everything always about whatever the levels need to be and do the levels need to come back to wherever they were and should we not be looking at how do we do business differently or how do we interact differently as well to do the work that we did in a different way so i think that's what i would say to this adrian what do you think well first congratulations to gpta and rockport analytics uh, for presenting again a great study well done as uh, as always and i think this year it will even have more attention than in the past years and we can all appreciate that there was a, a big part of uncertainty still in there larger than in the past years eventually and so they also give an optimistic and a pessimistic outlook to the baseline of 2025. Do I agree or not? Well, I trust the researchers. I would not have different or better or other data points. So by for better or worse, I would I would um, you know confirm that obvious facts they stated in there in regards to it will take longer than eventually originally expected to recover. Whether that is now 2025 or beyond um, is, is irrelevant. Uh, and within the framework of the economy recovering, business travel will not be first, not be the first mover. That's also obvious. And even behind leisure travel, most likely. Vaccination is a must happen first. And this will, of course, have a direct impact on uh, the prediction for 2021, that 21% that is expected to grow in, in this year. 
and you know how the the lockdown release will happen domestic first front of the line first front of the house as we call it sales or the q manufacturing needs to go out there um and continue and, and start uh, the business critical stuff and then the asian and the markets with uh, the larger domestic markets will will benefit sooner so overall i truly hope right there is an optimistic scenario for the industry's sake and that better sooner than later the industry the business travel can contribute again to the overall economy recovery and create jobs and and uh, new opportunities and new jobs julia can i come to you now you must make your own sort of forecasts on when things are going to recover and your your members must be obviously very keen to find out when things are going to recover i mean does it surprise you that that figure and do you think the tmc sector is in a position to to survive until then if that's what's happening yeah i, I think that none of us can argue that business travel certainly short term and, and possibly long term for some of the, the points that have been raised already you know hasn't changed i think for a lot of our members we, we have to take a step back and and think about what their role is you know their role is to support their their corporates their the travel managers into in putting together the right travel programs for them so Undoubtedly, that means change given where we are. Business travel has changed. It certainly changed, you know, short term. You know, whether the data is what we are, you know, whether the data is what, you know, I can, I, I think is going to happen. It's very difficult to, to, to predict. We're certainly not forecasting any, any type of recovery of business travel to the end of the year. But I think, I think we have to remember our role, certainly as, to, as our, you know, in terms of our mem- the membership, what their role is. And it, it really is to help travel managers and corporates put together the right type of programs for them um, and tick all the boxes around sustainability costs, et cetera. Um, but also recognizing that, you know, there are emerging industries that are growing through a pandemic and, you know, our TMCs need to be in the right place to be able to support them through their business travel requirements as we come out of this. Paul, coming to you on that, I mean, you're speaking to companies all the time. Are they thinking that it's going to take a long time to recover and what, what's driving that? I concur with Karen's comment that um, that I think there is a kind of general feeling that there was 2019 was kind of let's call it overconsumption, and there was sort of a default to let's get on a plane, and there were already lots of trends beginning to occur to challenge that kind of default position. I think GBTA had to be congratulated for commissioning research like this. They started this kind of process back in 2009, and Rockport Analytics um, have a very robust methodology. But I think. You know whether you agree with the results or not, it's some data for us to work from, and that's really important. The top line message is that overall global levels will reach close to 2019 levels by that time. But you know when you when you dig down, actually Western Europe and the USA are not going to, and the growth or the return is all driven by uh, what they call emerging Asian markets, including China. So I think it matches kind of my expectations and the expectations that the buyers that we speak to have for Europe and North America not to recover to those 2019 levels by 2024. But it's it's really tough to call. And I wonder how much that the research was based on kind of normal conditions and doesn't take into account some of the changing factors and changing behaviors that haven't yet embedded themselves in companies' behavior, virtual technology, work from home, change travel behaviors, and that kind of perspective on overconsumption and sustainability. I think it's absolutely a time, and I know, I, you know this has been a, a continuous theme throughout all these podcasts. It's a time for companies to take stock, whether you're on a buyer side or a supplier side. I think on the buyer side, I agree with Karen. It's kind of you know net zero zero budgeting up. 
rethink the travel program from the bottom. And I remember on the, on the supply side, I remember Evan Convisor from Amex saying the line, it's very hard to change the engine when you're driving at 60 miles an hour. And he was talking about like rethinking the TMC Valley proposition, but we're not driving at 60 miles, miles an hour anymore. We're parked on the hard shoulder. So if there's ever a time to rethink what you're doing, this is it. Thanks, Paul. And uh, thanks for bringing up about the, the different speeds of recovery as well. So that's really what I wanted to talk about now. So if you look at uh, the individual regions and the individual countries um, in that research, the recovery is being driven by Asia Pacific and by China particularly. Uh, but uh, European countries are really not going to recover at all. So the GBTA research was saying that uh, by 2024, Europe's spend is going to be 75 to 85% of uh, 2019 levels. I mean, do you, do you think that's a, a long-term change and, and that will ever recover? I don't know, Karen, maybe you could talk to that. We've seen it with China as an example. So our, our volumes already are back to almost pre-COVID levels, or they were. So I think, you know, in general, we have seen that trend within our own business. I think there's more of a maturity. If we talk about sustainability, and, and I have to raise it again, there is more of a level of maturity in Europe about addressing sustainability issues, shall we say. And there's, there's just always been a stronger interest in delivering to that type of thing and i think you know if i just speak for how we're looking at that we're you know whilst we're looking at it across the whole organization perhaps the appetite can be different in some areas versus others to actually address it more quickly if we look as, as well at the volumes from an, the america's perspective as an example we've really not seen very much come back there at all either and i think this is really linked to what's actually happening though currently within the covid situation and i think that's going to drive how quickly anything is going to come back for us you know apac in general is a growing area anyway for business and so that will drive some elements of increased business travel because of that irrespective of whatever targets that you may have um, to reduce emissions the business demands may drive that there i think there's a couple of things to consider with europe the first thing is if you look in the in the report um europe accounted for just over 20 seven percent of global spend in 2010 but over a period of nine years that share of the market has decreased to 23 percent so there's kind of two things one is there's a, there's a reduction in growth comparable to other regions and that's where this incredible growth in um, emerging asia kind of comes into play and the second one is like is there then an absolute reduction in travel compared to the 2019 levels and it's those the combination of those two things that i think kind of shows you that europe compared to other regions of the world is not going to be at the same return level. There could be a number of reasons for that. One is uh, maybe a, it could be a combination of maturity of companies within the European region compared to uh, kind of the, the less mature and more bigger startup culture in Asia. And the second thing is there's, you know, Europe doesn't have a domestic market. I mean, it depends how you define it, uh, but it doesn't have a domestic market like United States or China. And that's where, you know, companies in the USA are traveling because within within the United States, you know, it's not back to normal, but there are there are signs that it is. That's different in, in the UK. The size of domestic travel spend is so much smaller. So I think that's a fundamental difference between Europe and those two regions. 
what we've been seeing is people not flying within Europe, but they're driving themselves or they're taking the train more. And that may be linked to a nervousness of flying because of COVID. But I just wonder if that trend will continue in Europe as well, around people will just travel in a different way. Because interestingly, we, our volumes of accommodation, as an example, have, have grown there um, and come back more quickly than the other areas, as an example, because of the driving and that. And I think fundamentally we'll see a different way of traveling in Europe as well as we go forward which perhaps won't be so much by air. I'd agree with that. Rail is a, it's a European thing isn't it and it's always been growing. They've just struggled to kind of join the dots and make the distribution effective and bring that kind of wholeheartedly into business travel but I, I think now is the moment for that definitely and car and any other forms of ground transportation. Uh, Julia, um, perhaps you could just talk about the, the UK specifically. So the figures are showing you know, quite a substantial decline between 2019 and 2024. I mean, are you confident about the UK market? And perhaps uh, you could also talk about what Paul was hinting at there with the domestic markets and perhaps talking about Brexit. I think it's, it's always really difficult to compare, isn't it? I think we're comparing different markets and, and what the, the patterns that we're seeing um, across different parts of the world. So, you know, out, out, you know, but, you know, we talked about the US, um, US there, ref, that was referenced by Paul. And, you know, we're seeing our global partners, you know, their domestic travel, which is, you know, the largest part of their spend anyhow, is near enough back to where, you know, the levels that they, they, were, they were achieving last year because they are they are back traveling i mean these are obviously our our members are smaller smes but they are traveling again and that is continuing and obviously the patterns we're seeing in an asia pack that's that's very similar but yeah the, the uk the, the uk domestic market is is much smaller and the type of businesses that our members are servicing are very different you know and are all working from home and, and having the need for essential travelers as maybe some of the others but i think also i was wondering whether we, we also have to think about cultures in, in different markets also and what is culturally acceptable and what isn't and whether that will change how we feel about the UK. I mean Paul reference kind of cars there. I mean, will we see more domestic travel by cars? I mean it's not culturally something we kind of do for business travel. Obviously there is a lot of business travel by car, but will we be getting on trains more? Will we feel safer in our cars to travel longer journeys? I, I don't know. I've got no no visibility of that quite yet but but I guess as we come out of this it's it's working hand in hand isn't it with our with you know certainly our TMCs in understanding what will emerge from this because business travel is going to resume but it will be badged in a different way and it will look different um certainly for the short term and there are there are lots of things that we're going to have to bring into that around how our travelers feel notwithstanding the sustainability discussion as well so I think it's Personally, I think we have to be careful at comparing the different markets because we are all at different levels of maturity. Mark, I remember I've followed these reports for quite, you know, 10 years or so. And I remember a very kind of interesting statistic, which was the UK market is about 35% domestic travel and 65% international. And when you look at other markets, actually, that balance is much more swayed towards domestic. And of course, we're an island, an island nation. So we need to travel internationally in order to do business. So I think what you might see with Brexit is a swing of that business away from perhaps more European focused into other markets. I mean, who, who knows what the impact of Brexit is going to be? And it's, a lot of it's going to depend on the types of trade deals that were done. But that's one potential swing, I think. 
Adrian, perhaps we could come to you uh, as uh, somebody who's based in mainland Europe. And do, do you think Europe is in a long-term decline in terms of business travel? Or is it just that, you know, in that short time scale, GDP is going to be depressed there? And so, and, and obviously, GDP is a very strong driver of business travel. You know, I support what I said before, right? There was the trend before COVID for, you know, where where is the growth in the emerging versus developed market? And then the Western Europe, there is a lot of mature companies that have already had a, a start on the environment and, and, and how we want to manage travel budgets. Um, and we will eventually come back to that uh, too. But in Europe, on the short note, there is so many borders that makes it very um, challenging for sure um, during you know the recovery in the next 12 to 24 months to understand what is possible cross-border. And, and is it then just simpler to take the car rather than to fly if you not need to, to travel too far? And um, when I look in where Mondelezus or our growth is, then you know, it is coherent where we do have the larger sales organization moving domestically by cars and and predominantly uh, by by car that's where we see the travel is happening that's where you know room nights are generated that's where we have mileage and and expenses are generated and in cross border europe um, we are very conservative and it's very complex still at the moment to do that so that might also add to what was said before that it will take longer for Europe to come to an agreement on what documents, what precondition, what travel preparation is needed, eventually less complex in Asia or in other parts of the world. I'm a little bit surprised, though, on the, the outlook for the US that we, we have we have not talked about, that they will stay 2024, almost 25 or 27% below 2019. That's a little bit scary. And what does that mean to the shift of supplier to the to um, eventually, you know, the airline industry, Asian dominated versus European and, uh, and and US dominated? So I think that's also a very other interesting aspect coming out of this research. It's because you think that uh, with Joe Biden coming in as president and being more open to global trade, that uh, perhaps that wouldn't be as depressed as as those figures show. Yeah, definitely. That would be, I mean, it's, it's stated in several um, parts in the report that, you know, the, the consequences of the Trump administration on, on, on trade um, with Asia has an, has an impact on, on business travel flows. So Biden coming back, also he has not given clear signs that we'll change the policy with, and, and the, the key arguments with China, but um, eventually that will, that will um, not result in as drastic non-travel than it is now. I think it illustrates the, the, the so many unknowns, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, from political policies through to changing corporate culture and work from home and all these sorts of components. It's almost like rather than wait another year for this report to come out, they should be doing it on a quarterly basis and give us like a little mini reference on any changes that they see. Both Julia and you, Paul, said that you've seen recovery on domestic in the US. We've definitely not seen that at all, actually. Um, far from it, in fairness. I would say it's probably the slowest area of recovery for us. I think it varies state by state and depending upon the rules that are in that state. state. And I, I wouldn't say I'm not I'm not talking about um, figures of return, figures of volume. It's almost a mindset in talking to U.S. travel managers and people, our team based in the U.S. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call it recovery, but I'm certainly seeing some movement, which, you know, when you compare it to the U.K., it's nothing at all. So I guess that's context it that way. 
Karen, in the last uh, week, we've heard from your firm, EY, but also from law firm Freshfields so that they're planning to cut business travel emissions over the next few years. And as a perhaps as a consequence of that, uh, cutting business travel itself. Do you want to make any sort of comment on that? And do you think others are going to do the same? I think for the world environment, Others do need to do the same, um, candidly, and I think we're becoming much more aware of the damage that's happening in general of emissions. Not that it's just linked to business travel, but the reality is is that a significant part of any organisation's emissions are linked to business travel. So, yeah, I would anticipate that many companies will do the same. I mean, one of the things that that we stated in our announcement was that 75 percent of the suppliers spend that we work with have to have put in science based targets. And so if we're driving that, that means that others then that we work with, at least, will be setting those sort of targets. I think, you know, for us, we just recognise that something needed to be done from an environmental perspective. Our travel expenditure was extremely high and the volume of flights that we were taking were very, very high. The whole situation that we've been through for the last year has given everybody the opportunity to reset take a pause and really think about how do you do business. I think it definitely has highlighted the need for interpersonal interaction as well. So I don't think that it will all completely go away. But I think setting some reduction targets linked to emissions is a sensible thing to do now because of the challenges of climate change that's happening. And I think each company has a responsibility to actually address that. Julia, can I come to you on that? Um, do you see more of your TMC's clients addressing this and, and are your members ready to, to, to cope with that? I, I think it's something that's been on the agenda for, for a number of years, hasn't it? It's been part of the, the kind of RFPs that, you know, that, that are, you know, our members are, are seeing. Um, but absolutely. It, I think as Karen says, you know, we all have a responsibility now. Our TMCs are heavily involved in trying to support their corporates around this. And I mean, we, we did a deal recently with Thrust Carbon for, for that reason to really try and support our members around how they can how they can demonstrate and showcase the carbon reductions from from their you know from their corporates. I think also clearly we you know there, there's a long way to go on this and say so we all we all have to do our part. But I think also we need to remember the reason why we have such great talent in the in the business travel community as well, um, and why young talent join business travel. So I think as part of all of this. Um, it is about re- restarting, rethinking and reshaping policies so that obviously sustainability is a really key part of it. Um, I think we also have to think about, I mean, clearly it doesn't match the carbon emissions of getting on a plane, but, you know, we're, we're all now sitting at home. I mean, I've bought more light bulbs in the past year that I've ever, ever bought in my life. You know, so all of a sudden we are, you know, we are increasing our footprint elsewhere. So I, I guess we need to bring that into account as well. Um, but I think it's a really important opportunity. And actually, it's given us an, an op- this, you know, if anything, you know, we've got an opportunity now to make sure we're doing the right thing responsibly. Um, and we absolutely will have to play our part. And, 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 and our role, you know, obviously has advantages to try and help our members uh, manage that and give them the tools to be able to do that in an in efficient manner. Paul, I'd like to come to you on that. I mean, I just wondered if, if you were thinking that you know these announcements by these companies are in in relation to what you were talking about earlier about us being parked on the hard shoulder right now. It's time to reimagine business travel in in this sustainability environment. 
I think it's absolutely necessary because what, what we're seeing is is some momentum building around sustainability and enlightened CEOs looking at their business and saying, OK, this isn't just about financials and cost. We, we need to consider a balance across people, planet and profit. I mean, you've had Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella committing to carbon negative by 2030 and more, more amazingly, uh, removing historical carbon by 2050. I mean, it's an incredible announcement. You've got um, BP's CEO Bernard Looney saying the pandemic has deepened his commitment to get net zero by 2050. That's an oil company saying that. These are incredible statements and everyone else will start to follow because if you don't, consumers are going to start to make decisions on who they use based on the kind of ethics of the business that they're dealing with. And this all kind of comes back to, and I know we keep talking about it, but purpose. Every company needs to, in that hard shoulder, rethink their purpose. What are they doing? Why are they doing it? Is it the right thing to do? And how, how do they come across to their customers, not just now, but the next, next sets of generations? And that hard shoulder is a time for them to think about the purpose of their business. And it's the same time for travel managers to think about the purpose of their travel program and aligning to the objectives of their company. So for me, the interesting thing about the GBTA statistics is they might account for some sustainability, but do they account for that acceleration? And I think we're definitely seeing that. Adrian, I wanted to come to you about this. The Freshfields announcement made clear that it was all about business travel emissions, but they also said this is going to save us considerable amount of money as well. And, you know, tying in with what Paul said there about people, planet and profit for organizations like Mondelez, is it about a combination of those things about saving money and saving the planet? I think overall, you can exactly say that it, it's both. It's it's not tea or coffee. It's a, it's a symbiotic. I don't think the CFO has anything against it if people start, you know, challenging their own travel plans in the future based on their beliefs and, and their contribution to the environment or where the, or does the, the environment have anything against it that the CFO said less travel and less travel budget. I think it goes hand in hand. And I think it's, it's the, that the companies that have started on that road on uh, the, the social responsibility, the corporate responsibility in the, in the emission space before COVID, they continue to do so eventually accelerate it. But there have been many great companies out there, and I only salute them, Karen and UI and, and, and Freshfield, but all the others that are doing this because it's the right thing to do. It's the consumers are requesting it to do. And it's, of course, for Mondelez, a big thing. But within travel, you know, we are more, it's part of, of, of a holistic um, approach to the responsibility. And um, uh, this goes to our farmers, to the packages. And travel has only a, a smart part of it, the, how the plants are heated, how we use how we use energy in our in our environment. We have done our tough challenges 2013, 14 to 2017 when we reduced travel transactions and travel spent by 60, but a little bit more than 60% from the baseline to where we needed to be. And we did it is out of a, a cost initiative, you know, from the executive board governed by the CFO. And the whole business was involved in this and not just travel, other areas too. And I mean, we did it not under the banner of the environment, but of course that that is a huge contribution that we could make in in these regards too. So I always say that it's it's a, it's a symbiotic thing. Be good to the environment and bank the savings. 
Julia, now obviously during the pandemic, business travel has been decimated, but you know there are many sectors that are still traveling, as we know, and you know healthcare, for example, Amazon are obviously doing quite well out of this. So I'd quite like to look at you know industry sectors, and the GBTA research says certain sectors look set to be more badly hit in the years to come. They predict things like food service, professional services, and the administrative sector will suffer the most, while things like manufacturing will do better. I mean, do you see this sort of a patchy recovery in different industries? I think inevitably, yes, we will. I think, you you know, without question, that there'll be some sectors that will that will emerge out of this much much poorer than others and as you quite rightly said there there are there are sectors you know technology companies and, and all sorts that are that are recovering that are sort of emerging stronger and will you know will need to you know will need the support of you know a, a travel program coming out of this so so I, I think like every every crisis and obviously we've not experienced anything like this in in our generation but so every crisis brings out opportunities and and you know we we, you know, there will be, there will inevitably be, you know, we've talked about some of them already today, opportunities that come out of it and certain sectors will perform better. But I think even those sectors that will take much longer to recover um, are going to need a package of support to get them through this and help them through this. And I, I was thinking about this also, you know, the, I think the other thing we mustn't lose sight of is, you know, what does our, you know, our sector is an enabler, we're an enabler to business and we can't lose sight of that. So, you know, that's what we're here for. So we just happen to provide travel, our members just happen to provide travel to enable them or travel program to enable them to achieve that. So um, what more can TMC, et cetera, do to enable, continue that that process of being an enabler um, and also support economic recovery? Because frankly, that's that will be the next step after, you know, once we're through the crisis that they will need to focus on. And I think, you know, there, there will be sectors that will need different support and, and different packages of, of support from the, than others. I think for me, this is the this is the bit of the report that I kind of struggle with the most because the report focuses on the impact of the pandemic on their resilience by sector. What it doesn't do is reflect the nature of the business and what type of travel they conduct and how replaceable it's likely to be by virtual communication. Or if you look at the instance with EY, for example, and Karen's company's amazing, brilliantly ambitious target to cut emissions by 35% by 2025, that's because the nature of their business means that actually their travel, business travel, is what accounts for a probably higher proportion of emissions than if you're in a manufacturing company, for example. We, as a business, we're going through a listening exercise with different types of businesses at this point in time to understand what travel types they have. I mean, we've identified 30 types, but there are other types within businesses. And so in a few months, we might have a bit more insight to overlay on this, which would mean the likelihood of sectors return won't just be about their financial position, but about their travel makeup as well. What's the reason they travel and is it replaceable and are changed behaviours going to affect the amount of travel they have in the future? I don't think the report takes, seems to take that into account at this point in time. Adrian, you are one of those uh, sectors that looks as though it may be, uh, take longer to recover there, you know, the f food um, industries. Do you see it um, being a, a differentiator, your sector going forward? Well, I'm not quite sure if on, on, on these, the way they structure the sector, see whether we are there with, um, with, with food or more with the manufacturing, but we do, you know, package consumer goods. And uh, I think, you know, that, you know, from a, from a, from a sales point of view and revenue point of view, that sector has not 
you know, has produced and, and we have had a good year. Um, people have, you know, changed how they buy and, and how they consume a, a bit. And we've adjusted to that, but the shelves were stocked, the products were out there and, uh, and people could buy them. And of course, e-commerce has grown. So that momentum will continue. So the, the CEO is the very optimistic, of course, in, in that regard. But, you know, how we travel and, and what is our purpose of travel, I can relate more to what Paul just said. You know, in, in these statistics, there was that element of, of the reason for travel was missing. We do have um, a lot of internal travel, uh, less, you know, less um, uh, big conference travel that, that we are doing. So we had this opportunity to cut the cost and we did it. That was a painful exercise. Now going forward, will that, will that um, uh, for us be even lower, of course, but it will bounce back over the years. When revenue grows, uh, our portion of the business travel will grow, will grow too. But um, for for um, as a target, we said that we will even reduce it by 30%. So if the sector has a lot of internal travel, where people meet for internal projects to deliver, uh, you know, initiatives. I think that is the part where where the the, the reason and the necessity for travel is under is under scrutiny and under pressure on the focus. And manufacturing or or you know everybody who prepares consumer goods is is in that space. And 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 I think um, yeah it will take eventually longer, but it did not hit that deeply. Adrian, just interested in what you said there um, in terms of your sales growth has been, you know, you've seen adequate sales growth and obviously we've still been buying, you know, food, food's been stocked on shelves. Business travel clearly is, is reducing and that that's reduced from a, from a budget perspective as well. How do you see your competitors behaving and will that, will that cause you to rethink your travel programmes? So if you see different behavior in your competitors, if they if they're out there meeting face to face and and they haven't maybe reduced their their travel plans much, do do you see that as a an area of concern? I cannot truly speak about you know what the competitors are doing compared to what we are doing in regards to how they how they um, bring the products into the shelves and to consumers. But you know we are we are very conscious to make sure that we do what's right for us and we travel for the right reasons uh, for for to to support our strategy and vision and when when there is a reaction to the competition in regards to how we distribute our products then of course there will be there will be a trend but I would say we are first and foremost focused on what we think is right and what we think is the right level of travel and and why we are traveling and what approval is needed on the short term versus the long term. It's a very good point, though, Julia. And when we were looking at this whole kind of purposeful travel approach and defining these 30 types of travel, working out which ones as a business you might decide are more suited to virtual, one of the overlaying factors was, well, actually two factors were culture of your business. And so how travel plays a role in, in uh, creating that culture, maintaining that culture. And the second one was, what are your competition doing? You're absolutely right that if you're in the market, you need to grow your business. You can have all the insights and thoughts you want on creating virtual engagements rather than business travel. But if your competitors are sat in front of somebody selling and doing a better job than you are, it's going to drive a behavioral change. And you may start to see a reversal of some of that virtual component to physical. Uh, I think it, it's not not the only determining factor and you can you know I, I for example come across an environment where actually sales calls are in many ways there are advantages to doing it virtually you can bring in experts onto the call that you wouldn't be able to do if you were if you were there face to face you can have a back channel dialogue with the team whilst you're on the call and, and adjust your pitch accordingly so there are advantages to that sales environment virtually but 
we all know there isn't anything like looking someone in the eye, shaking their hand, assessing someone face to face. And that's really important. I think what will be interesting, actually, though, to that is the demands of clients as well, because, you know, if I think about us, our clients will have their own targets they want to achieve. So they, on the flip side of what you've just said, Paul, may not want to see people in person so much either as well, if it means business travel. So I think there's going to be a lot of conversations in over the next year to 18 months just around all of this. And that's actually why when we go back to the business travel industry, that adaptability of the agencies, as an example, is key, in fact, because, you know, you need to, to not limit yourselves to be linked to a transaction fee linked to a flight. And that whole ability to be able to be focused on internal meeting space and various other things that many have talked to agencies about about how do you bring that into your service offering actually now becomes really really important because that's where you can really start to add some additional value when you're challenging somebody to take a trip but you offer them the alternatives that then can be booked by the agency and they no, none of them really grabbed it that I could see and I remember having conversations around this over a number of years and I just wonder now if we're going to see a shift in business travel and the service offerings that they have so that they're not so reliant on volumes because then it's many different things that they can be offering to the, the corporates out there. Julia, um, you probably should respond to that, I guess. Yeah, well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, the, you know, the last 10, 11 months, you know, the TMC community, certainly the ones I'm representing, are have taken the time to, to do exactly that. You know, the models changed for them. Everyone's in business to make, to make money. And they've got to look at it from their perspective. So absolutely, you know, but I, and I, I honestly believe that, you know, the TMCs right now in this new world that we're working in and with all the different protocols, all the different policies that they need to think about that their corporates have, have put in place or want to achieve um, becomes intrinsically important in their makeup. So they have to be able to provide a multifaceted approach to how they service travel managers, corporates in the future, notwithstanding having to navigate through new protocols that are going to be around in destination countries for, for a very long time now. And I think, you know, it was interesting, you know, we spoke about Scott Gillespie's article as well. And one of the points that he made in there about the role of the travel manager, and it's almost the same thing, isn't it, where the agencies need to pivot and think about different things that they can offer. It's exactly the same for the travel managers. If the travel managers are sat there thinking everything's going to stay the same, then they're very, very mistaken. And that ability to take on new task functions, roles, etc you know whether it be virtual management sustainability whatever it may be be very open to take that on because then you always keep yourself relevant and in a role I would say versus just sitting there thinking that this is going to be the same and I put the two together about how you adapt and how you try and take on different things. If you're managing travel you're managing uh, a kind of reduced responsibility. If you're managing the corporate's engagement in order to drive their objectives and you're aligning yourself with that leadership and those objectives and you're spreading out into other areas, including virtual communication, whatever it is, I think that's where you, you see an opportunity for the travel manager role. So Scott Gillespie says business travel has peaked. Uh, do you agree with that? And uh, do you agree with his reasons? He says, you know, there's greater working from home now in acceptance of virtual meetings, a greater focus on sustainability, and the CFO is asking for it. So, Adrian. 
Yeah, can I quickly make another comment to Paul? Paul said something uh, just before in regards to virtual virtual meeting and, and culture. And I think virtual meetings have been so acceptable and so successful because cross culture and cross relationships they were instantly. Um, accepted. And um, I had a discussion recently where we discussed how sustainable is that, that people really will keep that um, that expectation that it's instantly or that it's still accepted just to do everything virtually. And uh, I think that's an interesting interesting point to that conversation regards to virtual meetings. Um, but to Scott Gillespie, I mean, we said it, um, you know, he states demand will be, what did he phrase it? Um, sharply and permanently dismissed, right? And which I guess concludes he will never see the same travel dollars again ever in the future, which you know, sooner or later, we will spend more in business travel than what we did in 2019. That's just, you know, the, the way the way the world goes. I don't think that that will change. So has it peaked? No, I don't think so. But I can relate to the reasons in regards to what he says to, to the demand side. And we talked about it, virtual meetings, um, the social responsibility and the CFO all will have a, an effect, but on a company by company level. I don't think that the whole pot will shrink through to that in the unforeseeable future. And there is, you know, some, he has, I think, 10 or 11 points out there. Some, some are really, um, very relevant. Now, the overall, you know, I can relate to everything what goes in direction to organizations will set up their structure to you know and resources to 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 react to whatever their demand for travel support for the whole service in expense and and card programs is is still needed and then they will make their their adjustments right how much procurement is needed how important is the price still tomorrow can we can we shape the shop differently and there will be new models coming out also from a from an uh, organizational side of of you there is a theme in regards to fewer suppliers, consolidation, and I think that is a, is a big risk or is an opportunity in the short term. But I think, you know, suppliers are not only driven by pure business travel, also by leisure travel, depending on what supplier industry it is, and, uh, and that will have an influence to that. I do not agree with him or don't relate to the fact that um, there is more control and on uh, more pre-trip approval, um, sustainable pre-trip approval with, with, with more reasons why, why we need to travel. I think once the security part is is defined to the new normal the the pure spending part of approvals that businesses do not like to nitty-gritty approvals right they they want to they want to manage it through budget or they better do through budget and controlling but line managers or executives should not spend their time too much to um judge why now this trip brings roi and should be approved another one not i think that is the every business streams and every person's own responsibility to to act like an owner and and to provide return on it. Uh, Julia, can we come to you on that? We can't argue with the fact business travel has changed, and for all the things we've talked about, there are many positives that we will learn from this, and different behaviours and objectives that businesses will have in place for you know that come out of it for the greater good um, for the right reasons I think we stand the risk however of forgetting and I've said it before forgetting the benefits of business travel um, and that's from you know the type of individuals that we recruit into the business why they they want to join business travel why they you know they why people love to travel you know fundamentally you know we saw a shift over the last four or five years linked to leisure travel and business travel pleasure I mean I hate that word but you know pleasure travel and actually it's um, it really helps us to recruit some great talent in the business so 
I think we just I think we stand a risk, notwithstanding all the benefits that will come out of new programs and sustainability, etc., of being a bit of a soulless industry and taking taking away the fact that travel broadens horizons. It brings so much benefit to businesses, both learning cultures. We I'm not going to be able to learn your culture, the Swiss culture on a Zoom call. I'm not going to be able to do that. So I think it's you know, we can't forget those human touches that are really important that drives the right type of behavior for an individual to to help economic recovery for corporates and i think that's really important and i think it's that balance but i do worry about actually you know how how are we going to keep attracting you know great people to the industry who love to travel paul mentioned before an island nation so we we've you know unless we want to um, hibernate at home we we're um, going to have to travel um so i think business travel has changed permanently i believe but i think it doesn't mean that it's change for the worst there is a moment in time that we need to work through and actually use the opportunity to come out stronger and better and make sure we're ticking all the great things that again we, we've covered really today the culture of companies is around interaction isn't it and um, people want to see their teams and that's never going to go away and despite the announcement that we've made of our reductions we still see a significant volume of travel happening as well because it's important to us whether it be meeting each other or whether it be meeting our clients I think as well, it's exactly what Julia just said, you know, we all want to have life experiences. People join companies to have life experiences. Life experiences are not about staying in the same country. That is for sure. And I think, you know, one of the things that I can speak personally of is I miss cultures i miss seeing different things out there you know than i get sitting here all the time but i think you know what will happen is we can still have volumes of travel but in a different way and one of the things that we anticipate is that trips could be longer so if sustainability you know is very important as we've said well then the trips may be just longer than you're not flying as often but you're staying away for a little bit longer so i think what we will see is just different patterns of travel as well which will still support all the various targets that companies may have whether it is cost reduction sustainability reduction etc however it will still continue as well and last but not least can we come to you paul is is scott correct has business travel peaked I think the first thing is every industry needs a Scott Gillespie. Um, I love the stuff that Scott comes out with. And, you know, what's great here is he, he doesn't really he doesn't have a vested interest. He's called it how he sees it. And I think that's brilliant. And it provokes debate. I actually find it hard to disagree with him. Our assessment is that certainly in Europe, the USA, we're not going to see the same volumes again for a long time or potentially ever. And the reality is that the end game is probably somewhere between Bill Gates's you know, 50% of travel and the 2024 reaching 2019 levels. But the, the point here is, what if there was just 50% of what we had in 2019? But what if the value of that travel, the purpose of that travel was so much more important to the company? It means that the travel program itself doesn't become uh, a cost line. It becomes an investment in how to drive that business forward. And to Karen's point, that means you're going to see maybe an increase in some different types of business travel and some cutting of other types of travel. Um, and that overall, that's going to change the landscape and that's really exciting there's lots of unknowns that we referred to earlier i think that's why you know the gbj piece is important it's useful but let's just 
continue looking at the data, continue looking at behavioural change in corporations, and then we'll have an idea of what this landscape looks like in the future. But um, yeah, can't disagree with Scott, I'm afraid. Well, that's all we have time for today in our discussion of GBTA's forecast for business travel between now and 2025. There was a feeling that perhaps the comparison with 2019 was unfair and that there had been what Paul termed an overconsumption of business travel that year. Growth is going to be driven by Asia-Pacific and China in particular, but many companies, particularly in Europe, are using this slowdown to assess just what elements of business travel are essential and are taking steps to improve their sustainability while we're parked on the hard shoulder. Companies like Microsoft and BP are making bold statements about sustainability, and they're doing so because they know consumers will make their choices for them if they don't. For me, one of the most interesting points from today is whether those companies who reduce travel for sustainability reasons will increase travel again when they see their competitors do so to sit in front of their clients. What is clear is that travel managers and TMCs who think that everything will stay the same when we emerge from this pandemic are very much mistaken. We also talked about Scott Gillespie's assertion that we've reached peak business travel. Our panel feels that the jury is out on that one. Thanks to my panel today, Karen Hutchings of EY, Brian Vici of Mondelez, Julia Lobue-Said of Advantage Travel Partnership and Paul Tilstone of Festive Road for sharing their deep knowledge of the sector. And thanks to you all for listening in. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the Week in Review podcast and our In Conversation series from whichever service you get your podcasts from so new episodes appear automatically. And while you're at it, don't forget to leave us a review. So thank you, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.